I'm Jack Zemlicka, and welcome to this episode of our 2016 Strip-Till Farmer Podcast Series. Today's program, Getting to the Root of Strip-Till Fertility, is being brought to you by Thurston Manufacturing, manufacturers of Blue Jet products. This is your first time joining us and you like what you hear, I would encourage you to subscribe to this podcast series, currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Or if there's another app you prefer for listening to podcasts, let us know. We'll make every effort to get it listed here as well. And by subscribing, you'll be able to get an alert when upcoming episodes in this series are released. Thank you again to Thurston Manufacturing. For more than four decades, Thurston Manufacturing has been an innovator in fertilizer injection and conservation tillage equipment. Over that time, large acre farmers have found BlueJet to be synonymous with durability, low maintenance, and return on investment. A founding title sponsor of the National Strip Tillage Conference, BlueJet's Strip Tracker was the first strip-till implement to combine onboard fertilizer carrying capacities with a stretched and staggered row unit. Visit www.blu-jet.com or call them today at 800-658-3127. Well, there are few things farmers like seeing more than picket fence corn rows. It's a visual confidence builder that seeds planted in spring will hopefully fulfill their yield potential come fall. But relying solely on an above-ground evaluation is only offering strip-tillers partial report card of crop health. Holding plants accountable for their yield promise requires an understanding of how fertilizer timing, placement, and performance intersect with root structure and development, according to veteran agronomist Mike Peterson. Having dug more than 1,500 soil pits during his 35-year career, Peterson says strip-till and accurate nutrient applications can achieve 300 bushel corn more efficiently and affordably than conventional tillage. In today's Strip-Till Farmer podcast brought to you by Thurston Manufacturing, we welcome Mike in to explain the tactical timeline for fertilizer applications in a strip-till system to strengthen plant roots and maximize yield potential. You know, when you take a look at it, what I'm probably very used to doing as a soil scientist by trade with a bachelor's and a master's in soils. I like to look what's in the ground because what's up above, as Bill said in the general session right after um, the lunch hour, it's a reflection of everything what's below because what you see down here, as you can see from this young man holding that Medusa head of corn roots, we really have a chance to stimulate what goes on, on below because this is where 95% of your nutrition and your water is taken into the, the plant. And that makes a whole lot of difference about what goes on up above it. We can proliferate the soil profile to make roots really work in a strip-till system. Fertilizing goes together with this. When we place the fertilizer in the right spot, whether you're using that tool or that tool or this tool, but having fertilizer going into the strip is really, really important. Bill alluded to that today and so did um, our other speaker. So we, we want to make sure that we can get that in the ground to make things start. So I, I'm kind of preliminary giving you an idea as you look at those pictures. 
It's all about what we get in the soil because your root system, ladies and gentlemen, does not grow laterally and flat normally because what is probably the dominant thing that controls roots as you think about it? What holds you on the ground? Gravity. That's what we're after. What, what does gravity, a natural phenomena that is really making things happen down below the soil surface? But you can plant into the high amounts of residue like you see in this picture here. That's 250 bushel corn residue and we're strip tilling was already done and we're planting right in behind it. So as to look at a famous guy that everybody knows he's a billionaire and he makes a lot of money, may I scratch your head underneath that thinking cap of yours for a couple of moments about something that's a little bit different. Do you think that Bill Gates would have thought about this as we go in into it? Or look at that statement that this young man is making. Um, it bothers me. I'm, uh, climate change is fundamentally important and we have to do it in a way that is consistent with economic growth. How many of you believe a lot about the economic or the hype that is all about climate change? This guy says that we've got to do it for an economic growth. But we have to do that same thing when we're doing it with the function of what goes on underneath the soil profile. Roots, do they the function all the same way? Whether you're a soybean plant, you're a corn plant, as you think about it, do they function the same way? And how do they function? Well, do they all grow at the same rates? No, they don't. Where do roots absorb nutrients in a grassy crop such as corn, sorghum, or wheat throughout the season? As this is a, a soybean mass here of, of roots and a nice big taproot, it really makes a lot of difference about that right there, which is probably the second most important thing about root development that I hope to explain to you today and also tomorrow when I talk to the entire group of everybody here about this soil temperature effect because it helps drive moisture uptake, nutrient uptake, and the plant growth. Kevin talked about when, or was it Bill that, uh, no it was Kevin, that was taking temperatures of the plant and finding out in a strip-till system that had a deep root system, it was 85 degrees versus what some of the other plants were showing at a 90 and 100 degrees. It does happen. You can get in a strip-till field that's robustly growing on a 110 degree day and down around the surface of the ground it'll be 80 some degrees. Much different, that plant is modulating that climate. So where we place nutrients are gonna make a whole lot of difference about where our water uptake was and can the roots compensate. So those of you, as you heard from Bill, that you wanna dig a pit, I'm notorious for getting those done. Now, this one happens to be a hand dug pit. I got to hand dig this one down to four feet. But it's sticking our head, as that ostrich is, underneath, looking down what's going on below ground. We have a root system here, and why, why is it responding the way it does versus with your tillage, your past tillage, how you harvested that field. It all makes a whole lot of difference of what's going on. So knowing your profile of a, of a root system under a corn plant really makes a difference because strip tillage will moderate what goes on below ground compared to direct seeding or no-till for those of you 
that maybe are no-tilling versus full-width tillage. And then where we place the nutrition is another way that we can help modulate that root system. Because roots will mold to their environment. As you can see right here, look at that compaction zone. There are no roots down here below in that soil profile. That is a zone which really caused a lot of problems. Those factors that you see up above, temperature, bulk density, which is weight per vol unit volume, gravity, porosity, compaction, whether or not maybe you're in Kentucky, there might be fragile pans, excess sodicity or alkalinity, excess uh, calcium carbonates, sand and gravel, bedrock, all of those moderate what happens to how much root development you can have. So in the, in the late 80s into the 90s, I did some research that uh, we looked at uh, soil profiles once a week from May, late April, all the way up into September to what happened with soil temperature development as it went deeper into the soil profile. This red line you see towards the bottom is 41 degrees Fahrenheit. What's important about 41 degrees Fahrenheit? That's where biological zero normally is. So the corn root system likes certain temperatures to be able to grow roots at its root tip and also at its lateral trip. And that's at about 53 to 55 degrees Fahrenheit. That's where it likes to maximize its growth. I'm going to show you some research that happened to be that way. So then between that and about 64, 63 degrees, I've got this crosshatch zone to give you an idea that that's where the lateral roots like to grow. So as you watch from April 10th to September 10th in the Northern Hemisphere, happens to be this is where it was taken at 40 degrees north, 75 minutes. You can see that about mid-August, we start to see an upward tick where the change is that because we're having diurnal changes, the nights are getting cooler, so the soil temperature gets, starts to cool off. But look about where that maximum is, is right in here, close to the 1st of September, is where the maximum depth of 53 degrees goes. That's probably where your maximum depth of your roots are going to go at 40 degrees, 75 minutes, which is right very, very, very close to five feet. That University of Georgia study, which was the one that I'm talking about in 1999 to 2001, and it hasn't been repeated, so it's the same one that's going on, they ran it in their large lysimeters. They have several lysimeters, and they ran 17 different crops, and they kept track of the temperature every day, every 15 minutes of the day, to find out where the development was. In corn, vertical root development is 53 to 63 degrees Fahrenheit. Horizontal root development is between 62 and 73 degrees Fahrenheit. That's important about why you want to place fertilizer and how deep your roots are going to be and the selection of the new hybrids that are out there. Change it. Let's look at a graphic form of it. Looking when the temperature is at 50 degrees Fahrenheit, there's very, very little root development. All of that that's green is the amount of centimeters per day of root development. So when the soil temperature now reaches about 59 degrees, it starts climbing a pretty steep lateral. As it reaches 67 degrees, it's right in the middle of where that development is. Now this is total root development, and I'm, I'm setting up a stage here for something. 
We're about 200 centimeters per day. How many inches is that? It's about 62. That's a lot of roots being developed. Now, not very many of you have probably done what I've done in all of those holes that I've dug. I've looked at total number of inches underneath a plant. That's an eight hour and 30 minute job to make sure that you can look at all of those roots. And we've counted it when the plant is mature, a mature plant will create 38,100 and some odd inches of roots. That's how one plant can expand and make that plant that's 12 feet tall really grow and create hopefully an 18 around ear and 40 in length. What kind of yield is that? That's pretty good yield. That's bouncing corn. What that normally means is that red or that green combine is poking through the field and everybody's got a big smile on their face because they know corn's going in the bin. But what we want to be able to look at also is compare now here, just to get an idea, look how slow soybeans grow roots. Finally, at 67 degrees Fahrenheit, they wake up and they kind of climb up to, oh, 100 centimeters per day. Soybean root system is very, very slow unless you fertilize it unless you know where to fertilize it and put it in there. But as we know that if we get on this roller coaster ride that's going to chug, 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 chug up to the top, we get a chance to be able to create a lot of roots. Now, what happens up here? I didn't show you the dive off. That's at about 78, 79 degrees Fahrenheit. We're talking about soil temperature. When it reaches that, roots in a corn plant start to disintegrate and die except for the trunk roots that are underneath the plant. And we're really wanting to know if I've got fertilizer from 53 to 70 degrees Fahrenheit and it's helping feed that plant and we've got a, a temperature with a canopy that's good, hopefully residue on the soil surface, we're gonna keep that soil temperature in this kind of environment to allow the roots to really maximize their potential. Without a starter, and I'm talking about a starter that goes in the seed trench, you're probably going to get a root no more than four to six inches long. Put a starter with it, you're going to make sure that you obtain this system to take off six to 12 inches long. Now, as that continues to move on, we get more and more lateral roots that come off of the seedling root, and we start getting the nodal roots to develop, and I'm going to go into that as we continue in this presentation. But just to get a start, we're essentially twice the amount of root system when we place it in the seed trench. Now, as Bill talked about a little earlier today, having it staged in some other locations is very important, and I'm going to talk about that some more. So having top quality nutrients, micronutrients, and maybe even biologicals to help in your starter package to get ready to help that plant kick out of the ground in May, which is really, really important. As you go north of the Iowa border, you're always fussing and messing around with cold soils and those plants just seem to stall out and never get anywhere. Having nutrition that's right where that seed gets it because as that seed immediately starts to imbibe water, it imbibes nutrients, and as it does that, what's it do? It goes along the wall, well, I'd have to go back to the back, and starts turning on switches, telling the plant that when you get to node number two, you're gonna produce this number of roots. Node number three, you're going to produce these numbers of roots. Very, very important, and I will hit that. So now let's, let's go into the corn season. 15 days after emergence. 
It's like when I like to look at roots. You don't have a very big uh, system of roots, but if you've placed nutrition along with what went with the seed at a certain depth, and we uh, can talk about that, usually between four and six inches, some of the N and the P and the K, you have a chance now for those, here's the seedling root, to get into that and feed itself. Because ladies and gentlemen, roots do not seek nutrients, they live in the presence of. So they have to come along just like I would do this young man here and I'd have to rub on his shoulder. It has to be directly in contact to be able to take absorption of roots, of, excuse me, of nutrients so they can feed it. So in those first two weeks, nothing but phenomenal things have happened. It's morphed from a seed to a rooted plant and it's erupted something that came out of the top and it's becoming now a photogenic plant. But what is the source of the fertilizer of N, for instance, that feeds this plant? Anybody got an idea? Is it nitrates? Is it nitrites? It's ammonium. It's just exactly like a conifer tree. A conifer tree only brings in nitrogen in the ammonium form, no other form. So when you put a nitrate load on top of a conifer tree or broadcast it on the top or put it in the ground, it doesn't do any good. It has to be converted to the ammonium form. So the DNA has started this incredible walk. It's turning on switches, and a lot of things are really happening. So with strip-till, we can place it in the zone where we've stripped, just as Bill and Kevin said, and there's no reason why not to. Those that run naked strip-till tools are doing themselves somewhat of a disfavor, and I believe that it's really important to put nutrition down unless you have super sandy soils when you know it's going to go out the bottom end. So we can put it in this blue pocket so that we're ready to feed it, ready to set some stages. Not slamming John Deere, I'm just saying, is that a good tool to be able to put fertilizer on? Because if you put fertilizer on the top, those of you know that in this room, if you come from northern Ohio, we're really, really aiming at being controlled by federal government and a variety of other people to say that that's going to be a no-no because it's lively to move off on this rolling ground. And it's not getting in the soil profile because there's certain nutrients out there that you put on that you know they do not move. Maybe a quarter of an inch. Well, roots don't grow upward unless it's a, a mango tree. So we're wanting to make sure that we put it in the soil profile. I, there's kind of two questions that come in mind. What products and how much do I place in the strip? So are you, as I do say this, I come back with this reply, are you on a mission to feed the plant or just dump and go? Placing a great big load on top of the soil profile or a great big load underneath the, the, the plant is probably not the most efficient way to be able to use a fertilizer because there's ways to be able to feed it with liquid products and or dry to really give you a better way to feed that particular plant. So let's change gears here. We're now about 25 days after emergence. You can see this has turned a little bit pale, so we know we've eaten some of it up, and bacteria are now finally starting to do something. The root system has grown. It's probably gone down to about two foot. The above ground portion is anywhere from 12 to 24 inches tall. It's got anywhere from six to eight leaves. The seminal roots now have sloughed off. Those are the three little roots that come off to the side and all they are is anchor roots. 
So they've died, but now node number two and number three, and I'll show you a picture of what I'm after here in a second, they're starting to sprout nodal roots. And those are pretty important. But at 25 days, we're just getting ready to start converting, and we are converting to going from the ammonium form of nitrogen to the nitrate form. How many of you know that what happens with an 18-year-old baby boy? In the 18-day-olds, right there, and we're about 25 days, there's a parting of when the testosterone flush goes across his hemispheres of his brains, and all of a sudden he's right-brained or left-brained. It does not happen to a, a female baby. At that particular time is exactly what's kind of going on here. That plant is converting, changing, and going from one form of nitrogen to the next. When I, when I heard that from a physiologist, my wife gave me this big, <clears throat> no wonder you're left brain or an idiot. And I said, no, I'm not the idiot. Maybe I'm left brain. The way the corn has been feeding itself, like I said, it's taking on this new form of nitrate. Also, phosphorus and sulfur is becoming more of a candy. And we're starting to see micronutrients are really being necessary to feed that plant, staging it, putting into the cells along the side of the phloem tissue to really make this plant take off. Also, those guys, mycorrhizal fungi, are starting to colonize the, the, the plant root system. Those hyphae will extend into the root, create an arbuscular structure, which looks like an oak tree. And then it sends out these little hyphae, which are very micro-sized. They're less than one millimeter in size, closer to something like 100 nanometers. And they extend out upwards of four inches away from the root to feed it. And that, all of this is happening about this stage in a corn plant in the northern hemisphere. Here's our nodal root system. I want to get up close and point. Seedling root. Node number one, node number two, three, four, and five. We'd like to have number five stay under the ground. In order to do that, you've got to plant two knuckles that deep. Otherwise, node number five will come out and they become like adventitious roots and they don't do their job which you're after. How many roots do you anticipate will happen in that plant? Anybody got an idea? Bill talked about physiology of the plant. It's important for you that if you're going to grow corn with strip tillage to have a better idea of the physiology of the plant. There's a potential with five nodes to have 60 roots. 60 roots are going to bring in a lot of nutrition get that 38,000 linear inches of roots so that you have a plant that's really going to take up nutrients and water. So we want to get the nodal roots to continue growing deeper in the soil profile, help those first four to five nodes remain underground and have greater than 50 total roots. More roots, more uptake. Here's a plant that is 32 days old, same field, no end furrow and no stuff below the strip-till, in the strip-till zone. Strip-till with fertilizer, is it going to do a race or is it just going to limp? I hope to goodness that it's going to race. We'll be right back to Mike's presentation shortly, but I did want to take the opportunity to once again thank our sponsor, Thurston Manufacturing and Blue Jet Products for making this program possible. For more than four decades, Thurston Manufacturing has been an innovator in fertilizer injection and conservation tillage equipment. 
Over that time, large acre farmers have found BlueJet to be synonymous with durability, low maintenance, and return on investment. A founding title sponsor of the National Strip Tillage Conference, BlueJet's Strip Tracker was the first strip till implement to combine onboard fertilizer carrying capacities with a stretched and staggered row unit. Visit www.blu-jet.com or call them today at 800 658 3127. Well, reflecting on the discussion so far, Mike made some interesting observations about understanding your objectives with fertilizer application. Are you on a mission to feed the plant or simply dump and go? And he also shared a few tips on accomplishing that crop feeding objective by applying starter fertilizer with the planter and the strip-till rig to accelerate root growth. Let's get back to the program now, hear more from Mike Peterson on mid and late season fertilizer application strategies in the root zone to keep hungry crops well fed. At 40 days old, this plant has really made a change. What happens in 40 days for those of you that might have a little idea about physiology of the corn plant? I'm sure that many of you do know. The number of kernels around the cob are being created right then and there at 40 days, between 40 and 45 days. The root system looks like this. It's extended down to hopefully two and a half feet. It's shifted into a six-speed transmission. The DNA control panel's got all kinds of switches and lights going off. This thing is doing all kinds of things. Node number five is probably just starting to develop its first sets of roots. So what we know, some people are not, they're adverse to using um, liquid fertilizer or another fertilizer in the time that we call side dressing. Here's a new way to do that with these Y drops that's really incredible. You're putting it right down alongside the plant where it grows and feeding it very quickly, which is very important because um, when I used to work with Orthman Manufacturing, we did a test, and it was a replicated study, where we used a coulter and put it in the middle of the furrow on 30-inch rows at seven inches away from the plant and took a check to see what that did. When it was out in the middle of the furrow, it was 16 bushels less than when it was up against it seven inches because we had uptake within four days compared to when we had anywhere from a week to two weeks before it would start taking advantage of what you put in with the coulter. So here we are, we're putting it in with a coulter in the middle of the plant. We have a chance to make sure that we're up close to this plant to feed it better. There are people that will do this, this one to be skipped, that be skipped, and do it on one side. If you're really wanting to be able to put a lighter dose so you don't create any, any burn, put it with every yes one. He was asking whether or not if we put it on one row and then skip in one row and skip with still every other side. How do we think that system is against fertigation? This system is getting it closer to the root right away, very quickly. Now, uh, I have engaged it and been unable to check it with a yield test, but I would believe that probably the efficiency would be there. How much did you put in the soil with your strip till when you strip tilled? He's asking what, what kind of rates would we want to put on this? I would think anywhere from 10 to 50 units of N. Because what you're shooting for now here, and you can go higher, 
is what's going to happen from 40 days up to 85 days. I, it depends upon how much of a coating the encapsulated urea has. You know, there's 15, 30, 45, and 60 on a lot of those, and then it's supposed to give you the days before it really starts to fully break down. When we put this in there, we want it to make sure that it's doing effect now, quickly, because it's got to be taken up in the plant and stored. Is there volatilization? I, I'm sure there is. There is some loss. There could be some loss. Now, when you have a lot of residue in here, the residue is also going to take some of it because now you've got to deal with the microbes that are working on that carbon source. So plan accordingly. We're now, uh, I'm looking a little bit more at 40 days here. This soil temperature and gravity, when we feed that plant, we're really doing a lot of things what's going on in the root tip. At the root tip, there are this particular hormone called cytokinins and abscisic acid that call for the exchange that come from the plant up above to pull nitrogen and other products into the plant. And you can see that we're, it's really important to make sure that we're feeding it right. As you can see, we're showing a little bit of dissipation. This plant is, is feeding itself pretty good. So the clustering of a root mass in and around the area of the richer zones is really important to be able to feed it. And we know at this particular time, at 40 days after emergence, if you think about it, you planted the corn, let's say April 30th. Um, I know that this year there was places in the central corn belt you were able to plant earlier. Um, so at about 40 days, we're looking at right in the first week of June. Microbes are really getting active. Microbes start doing their job at about 61 degrees Fahrenheit soil temperature. So when we know that it's getting there, now we're going to start seeing mineralization, release of nitrogen, and if we've got the soil prepared to do it right and we're feeding it, it's going to add that to its whole food source. But usually, like we were talking about, this is right in about the time when we're going to need a another dose, whether we put it on by air, whether we put it on through a center pivot, whether we put it on through water, uh, or some kind of active application of getting it, but getting it as close to the soil, if not in it, is really important. 55 days. This plant is probably chest high on me. So it's 36 to 54 inches tall, the V10 stage. Look at what it's consuming between two and four and a half pounds per acre per day, least nitrogen. The soil temperatures that are at that zone of 53 to 63 are down below 36 inches. The surface temperatures are reaching 90 degrees. So what's out here, those thin little lateral roots that were developed early on have probably desiccated and died off. The yellow is giving you an indication of where we put nitrogen if we were side dressing. How many of you know that nitrogen does not do a lot of this in the soil profile? It doesn't. It moves vertically. So lateral root development is now being stimulated because we're reaching this temperature zone and we're starting to get the profile to grow. Probably got a root system now down to about four foot. The plant is probably attained canopy and we hopefully are getting anywhere from 30 to 60 roots between those five nodes of the root system. At 75 days after emergence, this plant now has charted the number not only of kernels around, but the kernels in length. 
And we know that's going to happen. So then now pollination is getting ready. It's just a few days away. And consumption is climbing. It's really getting up there. The flag leaf is about to come out. The roots have extended the reach of their maximum. They're probably five to five and a half foot if we've got the soil to allow us to do that. Again, if we're limited by rocks or salt or maybe compaction has done it, we're not going to get the root system to do that. But again, I haven't expressed it much. Hybridization really makes a difference here. There are hybrids that won't go that deep, a lot of those. So choosing that with a strip-till system and how you fertilize really makes a difference. And that's something that I, I do a lot of is to help growers choose what's going to work with their tillage system. We have a root system that's pulling anywhere in a root-to-soil zone, anywhere from 3,000 to 8,000 cubic inches of soil volume. The root system normally in a plant looks like a, a small, thin, rectangular box because it's got a neighbor that's right up against it and then a neighbor on either side. So that this is probably what we're aiming to get nutrition and water out of those, those many cubic inches. In a clay loam or a silt loam soils, we have, for every 1,000 cubic inches of soil volume, one gallon of water available to the plant. So at that one, you can see anywhere from three to eight gallons of water is available to the plant. So I'm going to pop a question in your head. Anybody that's in this kind of zone, which is part of the plains and the, and the central corn belt, what you've heard from uh, the two speakers before and what you're going to hear be between now and tomorrow afternoon, where and how much and when would you place your nutrients and foodstuffs in and near the root pathway? It's important to realize that where those roots are and how you've tilled the soil and prepared it and started it off with the right fertilizer load really makes a difference. Because early on, we were just getting the plant to establish. And then from mid to late season, we can do something else to it, which we talked about in the side dress time. So I asked that question. Does broadcast seem a little bit more silly because it's all up on top of the soil surface? Now, nitrogen might move on down through the profile, especially if we get a flush of rain and what you guys experienced in a lot of the Corn Belt this year at 30-some inches of rain in, in the spring. We might lose a fair amount of the nitrogen, but those other fertilizers, I don't believe, have gotten to the root system because now, because we've got a root system that's down here, not up there. We're close to being mature, if not there. Got a big healthy root system, a lot of square inches, a lot of linear inches of root. That plant really is doing its job. Whoops, sorry about that. That corn plant's about 13 feet tall, anywhere from 14 to 18 leaves. The ear is filling the kernels now. It has an appetite that's worse than a hungry teenager. How many of you that have hungry teenagers at home right now? You know what the the refrigerator's like, right? It's a revolving. 10 minutes after supper's over, they're hollering at mom or dad, we ain't got anything to eat. I was one of those, still kind of am. That's partly because I ride a bicycle a lot. But you're needing food, needing food and needing food and wanting fed all the time. This thing, and if we have a lot of nu a nutrient capability, of gathering with a lot of linear inches of roots, we can feed that hungry teenager. So all of the nodal roots, all of the apical points of those roots, 
have developed, all the lateral roots are established, we're not growing any more roots at 100 days after emergence. All the adventitious roots, those that grow out above the ground and went down and sank in anchoring roots, have developed. This plant is fully mature. It's full-on tilt boogie to get all of the nutrients and water to create every kernel and make them fat and juicy so that we maybe have 60-pound corn and 350-bushel corn. The soil biology is in full steam ahead mode. It is really putting out. It is going like crazy. Is there any way to know how deep the roots are doing it? Yes, there is. There are now some capacitance probes that are out there that are telling you where water is being taken up and what ions are happening to move in the soil profile. They're out there. That's one way to do it. The mini rhizotron tubes, they give you a false impression because what happens when you pull that tube and put it in the ground, the roots like to swarm around it because you've disturbed the soil. Still, probably the best way is to dig it. Get in there and excavate out a hole. Now, not everybody likes a whole lot of holes dug in their soil in their fields, but that's probably one of the best ways. But the, those uh, capacitance probes that are on the market right now, yes, they cost money, but they'll give you a very, very good idea where your roots are taking in nutrients and water? Good question. I, if you're trying to put on 100 units of N, yeah, I would imagine you're in trouble. He's asking where would be the point where we probably are causing the, the burn issue. Yeah, you start putting on big loads. You're asking would, if you put it on 80 days after emergence, would we be doing some good? Yes, if you could. There's ways to do that. Spoon feeding a plant is really important. You spoon feed your, your baby up until a certain point, and then when they're teenagers, they're still kind of spoon feeding because they're opening the refrigerator door up and you wonder why the electricity bill went up, huh? So this, this plant, good questions, by the way. The root to soil capacity is anywhere from 5,000 to 10,000 cubic inches of volume. Takes a lot of work to get there, but any kind of stressor is going to drag that system down. We've kind of watched for this day to happen. We really know that this is when it's all going to happen unless we get the white snow machine to come in. Big old cloud comes up and it creates those hard raindrops. As my boss likes to say, he calls that slow release rain. It is, but there's a lot of damage with it, as we all know. In fact, uh, there's a story that goes behind this. I was driving home from um, western Nebraska, and I was coming across to home to Colorado, and I called up the guy of the Irrigation Research Foundation farm at Yuma, Colorado, and I said, Charles, how you doing? He said, oh, this is wonderful. The corn just looks beautiful. It's July 21. He says, it's just gorgeous. It looks like we're going to get a little bit of a shower coming up. So I get a call from him 20 minutes later. Tears are in his voice. Mike. It's all over. He said, every one of your plots are nothing but excrement. I said, no. 20 mile an hour winds, baseball size hail, sticks. That's all we had. So hard rain is really, really bad news. But I couldn't believe it. Charles, a guy that bikes and goes to Sturgis, he was crying on the phone. And I have, I have dug as of last week. 1,541 holes to give you an idea about these things right there.
Now Martin Bone has looked at all kinds of hybrids. But, um, so I wanted to show you a little bit of an example of what maybe happens with a, this root system. And I know those lines faded out, I'm sorry. So we've got roots that get down to about one root's making 42 inches, but most of them are up here in the upper 12 to 18 inches. These are the adventitious roots. So if we, and this is full width tillage, so we're using disc and chisels and all kinds of other things to get the tillage done. There's where most of the root system is. And it's taking water and nutrients and you've got, this is where most of it happens, in the upper 18 inches. And you can see that we've, we've got a pretty good root system, but if you don't, and you've got a soil that is five to six foot deep, would that be the one that you would really want to choose? And is it the one you want to choose for strip till? I don't believe so. I believe that we're wanting to make sure that if we've got strip tillage, that we're tilling a zone to nine, 10 inches deep, we want to make sure we maximize what's going to go on down below it. So we've got a really good chance now. So it's a deep carrot-like root. It looks like Rapunzel's golden hair stairs. And where would you place the fertilizer and additives to really make this one benefit? I believe that placing it two different locations with the strip-till on-seed products and maybe side dress will really feed that plant to do something big. And you do not, I emphasize do not, have to feed it great big chunks of nitrogen. By that I mean reaching 300 pounds. So if we've got a deep-rooted strip-till system with a plant that goes deep, we can get obtaining down to about the 48-inch level. How many of you know that a corn plant will stage nutrients in water? In the heat of the day, it's working really hard down here. So it pulls it up to about the 18-inch level and puts it into those storage cells in the phloem and the xylem, both in the stalk and in the roots. And then at night when the plant cools off and in early morning when the first photosynthesis starts, it hollers down with the oxens to say, bring me up stuff from down below, but it's only got 18 inches to take it up into the plant. Corn plant's a phenomenal plant, and once we know a little bit more about the physiology of it, we know how to feed it better, we can do a better job of making it happen. So let me give you an example of what's going on. This is a strip-till, naturally fed, uh, rain-fed crop. I'm looking at you know, June, July, August, and early September what happened. Here's June 1st, the corn reaches 20 inches. By the 1st of July, it's reaching about 34 inches deep. August 1st, it's 48 to 60. And by the 18th, it's anywhere between 60 and 70 inches. It happens to be, on a lot of my studies, they were 62. With a conventionally tilled, that means we're doing full width tillage. 12 to 15 inches deep, pretty close to the same thing at June 1 compared to what it was in a strip till. June, July 1st, 22 to 28, you know, we're right in there close. But then August 1st comes along, it's 36 to 48, and it only taps out at about 60 inches at the very, very best. Again, genetics play an important role, whether or not you've got a type 1, 2, 3, or 4. But in all of that, this is what that strip-till system did. It had 770 cubic inches. I've got to throw up the next bit here and compare 3,200 3, cubic inches of soil volume all the way up to almost 6,000. June 1st was 590, July 1st was 2,200, and look at it just 
isn't getting there, and it's about half to two-thirds of this. A root system that gains more water and nutrients is going to give you the, the chance to be able to grow a crop because we fertilized it properly, we got it down into the soil, and made it do some things. Again, another comment, every 1,000 cubic inches is about a gallon of water. For those that irrigate, that's really important. For those of you that rely upon the clouds to make it happen, that's still very important. So we've added anywhere from almost five inches more water and it penetrated, you know, a, a deeper depth. Once it's done with the vegetative growth system, is the roots going deeper? They grow up until about 100 days after emergence and then they pretty much stop. And then when the ethylene is released in the plant, which is one of those products that's in that plant. It's the same thing that's in paint. It shuts off root development totally. That happens right around 1st of September. If you've got a very, very healthy plant because you still have some nutrition in it, the ethylene might not be released for another two weeks. What it does is it separates the cell structure for the xylem and phloem to stop. They crack and break, and therefore you have no more transport up and down. And it happens right at root development right at the surface of the soil. Does that help answer your question? Sort of? Okay. Does the upper above ground represent what's going on below ground? To some degree, yes. I haven't done, Martin Bone has studied both above ground and below ground, and probably Martin would be the one that would answer that question better. There are now, you've, maybe some of you have noticed, there are plants that the lower half of the plant, about to the ear leaf, has these leaves that droop like this, and then above ground, or above that, they're like this. So they're intercepting sun. They're normally coming from the type one and type two root system. Those that are all drooped out and look like this, usually type one, or type three. So what does this all mean in potential yields? You know that um, there's been research that say it takes about eight inches to create the very first bushel of corn for every additional inch. In a rain-fed scenario, it's 10 to 12. Well, I think it goes probably 10 to 15. In an irrigated system, we studied it. We knew that the first 10 was going to give us the first bushel, but every additional inch can reach up to 20 bushels. Too. So for, as you think about how that works in your rain-fed system, now, when you get rains that are four inches at a shot, that isn't probably going to happen. So this is a question for you to think upon. How many of you expected roots... Uh, will do their thing with the nutrients you placed or added, and that's all there is to it. You have the chance, ladies and gentlemen, in this room and those of you that are farming or helping advocate farming the right way, that with strip-till we can promote root development like nobody's business and do it better than the conventional farmers do. And we can give, not a guarantee, but a near one, that we're going to produce better corn and it's going to be able to handle stress better. It's going to go through wet periods better or dry periods. So what we've established in the placement during the pre-plant operation has a lot of tremendous influence on the growth of that particular plant. All the way further. What are some of the advantages? I'm going to hit a couple of them. We've got a bigger area to withdraw moisture. We can feed that plant during the critical periods. We talked about the 40s and the 50s and the 75-day period. Potential to use less. There's no reason for us to put on 250 pounds 
of n all the time when we can do it on less. In fact, at the irrigation research farm, 312 bushel corn on 143 pounds of N. It can be done. And it, that's very carefully irrigated, but it can be done. This one, down the pipe, within the next three years. EPA is chomping at the bit to regulate every one of you that put on nitrogen. They're just, yeah. Some of the take-home messages. I'm very close to being done. One doesn't have to put in six operations. Placing dry, I don't think that's very efficient. Dry fertilizer may take too long in a, in a more arid condition to be able to get it into the soil solution so that the plant can take it up. Dry fertilizer in the immediate zone can be dangerous. You put ammonium sulfate with plants like wheat, it'll burn the roots, as you questioned and asked. It'll really toast them. Using better liquid products, ones that have the right kind of chemistry where they're, they're using more orthophosphate products and having a chance for that plant to take up that nutrient as soon as possible. Even putting biological aids by that, you know, you've heard about the biological stimulants and those kind of things. They do work, folks. It isn't juju juice. Feeding the crop early with best liquids. Corn can develop up to 60 roots, and we want to be able to do that. More roots on nodes number three, four, and five. That's important. Nodes number three, four, and five are the ones that go deep. Nodes number one and two ex explore the first 24 inches. Those with, with a good strip-till system that we are advocating at this conference are the ones that are going to go down there to seven feet if there's a soil profile to make that happen and it warms up enough. Timing of the nutrition additions are important. Strip-till age growers have developed that large root system. But know this about your hybrids. Talk to your DeKalb guy, your channel guy, your Bex guy. What is your root system that's underneath that? Ask them. Tell them you'd like to know. And if they don't know, ask them to get their backhoe, pit out, backhoe out and go out and dig in their pits, their, their plots, and find out what it is. Because then you're going to say, I can make the right selection for my fields for my management conditions. And lastly, as Bill uh, said earlier, don't forget to dig in the field. Look, how deep am I advocating strip-till uh, when I want to place it in a field? I don't believe that six-inch strip-till is going to do you the job because past tillage operations are going to make that uh, conducive that we should be going deeper. But where you want to place your nutrients? You want to place your nutrients at four and then at nine, then I want to have my strip till tool to go deeper. I, I made the statement that 95% of the roots do, or 95% of nutrition is taken up by the roots. It's, it's actually a little bit more than that. There is nutrition that can be taken up through the, the leaf, yes. So placing it by foliar is, is another good facet to do. But normally a foliar is a quick fix thing. It still works and it's important. And if you're on top of what's going on, foliar operations are really a smart thing to have happen. Well, thank you, Mike, for your insightful perspective on developing and maintaining a healthy root structure and strip till. A big takeaway for me from today's program is the value of being able to track the timeline of root development. 
and time fertilizer applications to ensure that crops are being fed to match their appetite. As Mike mentioned, making an additional nitrogen application through a foliar feeding or side dress can add bushels at harvest. And while seed genetics have come a long way in helping increase yields, it's worthwhile for strip tillers to understand the root structure of those varieties to make informed seed selection decisions. When in doubt, Mike says it's always good practice to get into your fields and dig to see for yourself what's taking place beneath your soil. Well again, we'd like to recognize and thank our sponsor, Thurston Manufacturing, for helping make this Strip-Till Farmer podcast series possible. I certainly look forward to your feedback on today's program, so feel free to drop me an email at jzemlicka at lessitermedia.com or give me a call at 262-777-2441. And once again, if you haven't done so, I'd encourage you to subscribe to this podcast series on iTunes or the Google Play Store, and this will allow you to get an alert when the next episode in this series is released. And you can also keep up on the latest strip-till practices impacting your farm today by registering online at striptillfarmer.com for our free Strip-Till Strategies e-newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at striptillfarmr and on our Strip-Till Farmer Facebook page. Finally, another reminder and invitation to come on out and put the fourth annual National Strip-Tillage Conference on your calendar held next year on August 3rd and 4th in Omaha, Nebraska. And you can find more information and updates on the conference at www.striptillconference.com. Well, I hope that you'll join us again on November 9th for the next episode in our 2016 podcast series, Building Strip-Till Success with a Hybrid Approach, where Iowa farmer Bill Darrington will share his success drawing from no-till and strip-till practices to increase yields and boost soil health. For Mike Peterson, Thurston Manufacturing, and our entire staff here at Strip-Till Farmer, I'm Jackson Licka. Thanks for listening. <music>